This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 129, Philanthropy at Minus 30 Degrees, with our guest, Dan Johnstone, a.k.a. Can Man Dan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's program. I have an exciting guest today, Dan Johnstone, also known as Can Man Dan. He's an award-winning activist, philanthropist, community organizer, and motivational speaker. Alongside his nonprofit organization, the Can Man Dan Foundation, Dan works hands-on to alleviate poverty, assist vulnerable populations, and strengthen communities in Alberta, Canada. To date, Dan has raised millions in resources for people in need while bringing awareness to today's most relevant issues. Dan Johnstone, welcome to the program. Hey, Greg. Nice to, well, thanks. I was going to say nice to have you on, but thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> most welcome. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for making a huge difference in people's lives. It's incredible what you've been doing. Well, no need to thank me. It's just, it's something I do and something I enjoy doing. It's like I said, it's more of a hobby for me at this point. So no need to thank me, sir. <laughs> for the benefit of our listeners, Can Man Dan, how did that name come about? This is the question I get asked most often because it's such a weird name. <laughs> I can't even take the credit for it because when I first started out just my charitable endeavors, I guess you can call them, I started going door to door around my neighborhood, just collecting, you know, random food for like the food bank or like a local soup kitchen or just whatever, like the youth shelter and just different charities like that. So one day, one of my neighbors, she, um, she said, oh, the can man's back again, because I'd always walk around with these big bags of like canned food and stuff. And I'm like, can man, that's kind of a cool name. And then my name is Dan. So I kind of just threw that at the end. And then can man Dan was born. And uh, it was cute in my 20s. Now that I'm in my uh, mid-30s, it's not so cute anymore, Greg, but <laughs> the name still sticks. Whatever works, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, you started this when you were younger, but were you a recipient of these types of gifts? Uh, I'll call them gifts when you were younger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my family, and I, I kind of say this, you know, out of jest, but, you know, some days it, it felt like nobody was more poor than the Johnstones. So, um, like growing up, it was a single mother household, very low income, and we struggled like every single week, every single month we struggled just to make ends meet. And, you know, without the Edmonton Food Bank and different services like that and different churches and, you know, just different community programs and social programs, uh, the Johnstones would not have been around too long, Greg. Right? But thankfully, just through, you know, the generosity of these different programs and strangers and, and different community projects, we got by. So, like if something free was given away, like clothes or food, the Johnstones would be there. And um, and that's just kind of how we got by. Because, I mean, you know, even back in, you know, the 80s, 90s, being a single parent of two was not easy, easy as it is today. But like we struggled. So, I mean, with, without the generosity of others, man, there, there'd be no Johnstone family to speak of, I don't think. Wow. Of course, I can remember the 80s. Some people say if you can remember the 60s, you weren't there. But yeah, the 80s were... <laughs> It was a different time, eh? Yeah, those are the years of high inflation. I still remember interest rates being so high back then. Mm. So tell us about some of the initiatives and from your website and from knowing you for a few years, there's quite a few, but just tell us a little bit about some of those initiatives. The initiatives, they they, they come and go <laughs> just based on the year, but it, it's really hard to explain because, you know, I'm I'm kind of um, just kind of known up for my, my, my pop-up events more than anything. So, I mean... Like every December, November, you can kind of catch me camping out in the cold, you know, raising food and toys for, for different charities and kids in need. 
And then in the summertime, I'm hosting, you know, Alberta's biggest back to school event, which is cool, where we give out, you know, backpacks and school supplies and, and food hampers to kids in need so they can go back with confidence in the school year. And then we do, you know, just different community events. I mean, it's all about the pop-up. You can find us, you know, at a local, you know, homeless shelter serving food or just hosting different community events. And that's, we're very grassroots and I'm very grassroots. We take that approach because, you know, we're on the front lines with the community. So, I mean, you know, whether it's the homeless, whether it's, you know, locum seniors, whether it's locum families, we, we do events that kind of cater to each kind of, you know, group or demographic. You know, it's, it's just very front, front lines and very grassroots. It sounds like you go into a community or you look at a community and you say, okay, what do we need here? What can we do as opposed to a one size fits all? Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of how my team and I, we operate, right? So, I mean, we get emails from different, you know, demographics and groups and we say, you know, look at this, seniors need help with their income taxes because they can't afford it and their, you know, their budget's kind of, you know, stretched to the limit. So, you know, we'll come in, we'll bring in some accountants and do an event like that or, We'll see that, you know, the homeless people, like we got a big event coming up March or April for the homeless community specifically, right? So we just kind of look who could, you know, use a little bit of a boost and a little bit of a, I guess, kind of a good feeling for lack of a better term or word. And uh, we just go out and try to, you know, do the best we can and make their day just a little bit brighter. Yeah, I can recall you also did, you said a food drive, toy drive. There was, I think, a haircut day. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, we're we're kind of over the map. It's all community-based and community-driven. And, and like I said, I guess, the, you know, the term helping the communities is so vague. And I think that's why our, our foundation does, you know, so well is because we, we, we just kind of help out wherever needed. We kind of fill in the gaps of society that's, you know, left out. And, and we just want to make sure that no one, you know, falls be, between the cracks. Yeah. Of course, you're based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. But these types of things, whether it's food, toys, haircuts, taxes, I mean, these things are applicable and these are some ideas that communities anywhere around the world can use. Oh, exactly. And especially in this day and age, you know, Greg, and, you know, without getting too political, I mean, you know, whether it's here in the United States or, you know, anywhere in the, you know, the world, it feels like everyone is kind of struggling right now. And we're just going through this kind of this weird period where, you know, the, the middle class is, is slowly, you know, getting smaller and, and smaller. And then, you know, that, that rich between poor and, and, and the rich, it keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? So, I mean, you know, regardless, I just being in the business, I hear all sorts of stories and I constantly touch base with, you know, nonprofits and charities in Toronto and, you know, down in the States. And, you know, we all collaborate and give ideas and, and do what we can. But yeah, the, the need is, is certainly growing, Greg, without trying to be too depressing here. I mean, it's obviously you're pretty determined. Now, you casually said, okay, yeah, you know, I, I sort of camp out and I collect cans and things like that. But just to put things into perspective, for those of you, it doesn't matter where you are, where you are in the world, whether you use Celsius or Fahrenheit temperatures. Recently, the thermometers met down at like minus 40. So minus 40 Celsius is like man, minus 40 Fahrenheit. Yeah. I know you said you, you camp out around, I think you camp out about three to five times uh, a year. And for yep. probably what four to five days at a time. Yeah, exactly. You were out there around Christmas time in this blistering cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been doing these campouts for for nine years now, and some years I get lucky, and you know it hovers around that minus five to minus ten degree mark, and that's kind of balmy compared to you know 
I've, I've camped out in years where it's been minus like 45 with the wind chill and, <laughs> and you know, there's icicles all over my face and people think I'm, you know, a walking, you know, snowman or something, but uh, I've certainly, I've experienced it all. And especially you, you know, this Greg, I mean, you know, Edmonton weather and, and Alberta weather, it changes so frequently and so quickly. And there, there's no you know real way to prepare for an Alberta cold, but um, you know, these campouts in specifically, I mean, They've, they've proven to be very successful, which which is kind of the coolest part, because when I first started them, like, oh, man, this no one's going to come see me. It's going to be a big, uh, big failure. But I mean, this last December that we had in 2019, basically, we raised about 75,000 pounds of food for the Edmonton Food Bank, which was a huge amount. It's like semi truck after semi truck full of food for the Amazon food bank. And then we uh, raised $75,000 in new toys for Santa's Anonymous, which is like a like a Christmas themed uh, charity here that gives to, to kids in need. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a big success and you know, that's just the generosity of Albertans, I guess. That's fantastic. I know I try to get out whenever you come around. I, I try to get out there. People also give you cash as well. Cause I know you have a little donation box there as well. Yeah. They give me cash, toys, food, whatever they like. Like I, like I said, I'm not picky. You can come bring me whatever you want. And I, and I collect donations uh, 24 hours a day on these campouts. So, you know, people come at, you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. to donate, which is the coolest part of it all. Like I said, if you want to donate something, you come see me and I'll gladly accept it. It seems like you're impervious to the uh, natural occurrences that perhaps that might have something to do as to when you were born. Maybe share a little bit about that. When I was born, why? What, do you know something I don't know, Greg? <laughs> were you were you there in the, the delivery room, the operating room? No, but I was moving that day, so I'll let you take <laughs> oh! I'll let you take the mic and share that. <laughs> yes, so I had the great privilege, I guess you could say, or pleasure of, of being born on Black Friday, which is one of Edmonton's most, uh, I guess, iconic natural disaster. Greg, would you say? I mean, is it the biggest that we've ever had? Probably, but it's not the Black Friday that has to do with the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess we should clarify that. Yeah, because Edmonton got struck with, I think it was an, an F4 tornado. And man, it was ravaging through, you know, the city and the outskirts of the city. My mom was literally giving birth to me when the tornado was happening. Like it was going on simultaneously. And like the po- the hospital was like, this is my mom's account. So we'll see how true it is. But she said like the hospital was like almost like shaking and like going back and forth because the winds were so high and you know the power is going in and out and like flickering and her she was scared and the nurses were scared and the doctor kept the most bravest face of all time he's like no we're gonna be fine this is nothing it's just the storm and everyone was like looking out the windows like i don't know duck this ain't just the storm (laughs) and then thankfully um I think I even made the paper the next day. I, had, I can't remember. There were some news articles anyways about the baby who was born on Black Friday. So that that was me and it was kind of cool. And Well, actually not cool because, you know, 20 people died, I think 25. So, I mean, yeah, that was sad. It was very sad and it's still something that we bring up this day. I mean, that was a dark day in Edmonton history and it really it ravaged our city and, you know, the countless deaths. So, I mean, it, it, it's a very notable day to be born on, but I think that's kind of where I get some of my... um my unpredictable passion because my mom always calls me, you know, the little tornado because I'm out there. (laughs) I'm sure making a a mess, but a good mess. You know, sometimes my friends, when they give me a cake, they'll put like a little tornado on it and stuff. Like I said, it's, it's kind of, it's like a double-edged sword. It's, it's a very notable day and people are like, Hey, tornado guy, tornado boy. But then, you know, all the sadness and once you realize what happened, you're like, Oh, it's, it's terrible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
And for those of you who may not be aware, it's July 31st, 1987. I keep thinking, the funny thing is the picture in my mind keeps coming up of one of the first times that I met you. I met you on two occasions initially. I can't remember which one came first, but right now I'm still picturing myself, you sitting in the back of your truck. I think it was like minus 30 Celsius. When that happens and it's blistering cold, what keeps you going? As stupid as this may sound, it's just like the generosity of people because yeah, I stand out there for four or five days at a time in this minus 30 weather, but the only thing that keeps me warm is, you know, the handshakes and the hugs and, you know, the donations from donors because it's nice when people come out to see you and it instantly you kind of forget about the cold. It's like, wow, you drove from the north side or the outskirts just to come donate and see me and give me a big hug. So that's always a cool thing. And then and then people forget, like when I raised, you know, last month in particular, when I raised 75,000 pounds of food, you know who has to load that food into the truck, Greg? <laughs> me so i'm constantly going up and down up and down so i mean i stay warm just on that and then you know by the end of the day you know the average you know safeway sobeys opens up at 7 a.m and then it closes at 11 p.m so right. i'm out there for the whole duration so by the time 11 o'clock hits i just go into my little my uh my little truck my little cot and uh i fall right to sleep I'm constantly moving for 16 hours, and then I go right to sleep because I'm so exhausted. You know, you feel the cold, but don't. It's kind of weird. <laughs> you just never give up. <laughs> so I, I mean, that's that's my biggest strength, but also my greatest weakness, Greg, is I don't give up. Even when I'm on the losing side, I'm like, no, nope, we're going to make this work. It's interesting because the other time I met you where I really got to know who you were was back in, I think it was in 2013, and that year they had asked Toastmasters to act as moderators for the municipal elections, and you were running for office, and that was the other time I really got to know you well. So it didn't work out all that well, but you just, you persevered anyway, right? I did, and you know what, that, I've always been fascinated with politics, even as a child. I mean, well, you know, when kids would would say, hey, I want to be, you know, an astronaut or a firefighter or a police officer, I was like, I want to be the mayor of the city. And people are like, that's lame. That's odd. And I'm like, I don't know. This is always a job that I thought was the coolest job in the world. And, you know, especially as I grew older, too, I just realized how, you know, fascinating and, and such a rich history. And just honestly, Edmonton is, is so full of just, you know, go-getters and movers and shakers. And, you know, I've been around Canada, Greg. And honestly, there's not a city like Edmonton, I don't think, anywhere in the world just because how diverse and, and strange we are, but a good strange Absolutely. And you didn't give up. You tried again, didn't you? I did. And and you know what? Like even going back to 2013, I mean, at the time, what was I, 23, 22? So I mean, it was my, I was just kind of getting my feet wet in the whole political arena. And, you know, I was having debates against, you know, 45 and 55 year old men. So I mean, there was definitely a notable, you know, age gap. And, you know, they had a couple of years, I mean, in life experience. But, you know, it was a just a good opportunity to learn how the system works. And I went in so blind, had no campaign manager, self-funded my entire campaign. And just what I learned and, and took away from the whole process was honestly mind-boggling. And it's, it's just it's so big and complex, just the whole political process. It was just it was fun to be a part of it for a while. Ward 10 happened to be my ward, so... Well, I have to admit, I was a little bit nervous getting up there because, of course, as Toastmasters, we were moderating, but we were going through each candidate. We were taking questions from the audience. Then there were questions that were coming in, I think, by email or by text. So, right. yeah, it's a little bit of a blur, but I certainly do remember that part. You had a lot to to manage, my friend, and I remember that, too. There was a, It was a busy, busy debate. That was my first one. 
Oh, wow. Look, it was the first for both of us, Greg. And we did great. I did one, I think, a few days later or maybe a week later or something. The second time was a little bit easier. Hmm. <laughs> I keep thinking about all the people that you, that you help. Obviously, there's people who need food, they need haircuts, but obviously there's only one of you. Quite often, many people feel the pinch. They, they always seem to be busy. They're just basically just striving to get by. How would you go about impressing upon someone that no matter what the situation is, no matter what situation they find themselves in, no matter what their economic status or, or whether they, where they live, that there is a way that they can help others. Oh, well, no, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof of that, Greg. And when it comes down to it, I, I'm a guy with a grade 12 education. And I went to post-secondary for a year before I had to drop out because my mom fell ill. But at the end of the day, I'm just a normal guy, blue-collar guy, get up, same as everybody else. And I have no formal education. I had no, you know, especially being a poor kid. I mean, I had no real big contacts nothing. I, I came out, no big Rolodex, nothing. So I just started by going door to door in my neighborhood. And, you know, I just wanted to support and do what I could to, you know, give back to a community that was so gracious to me. Pretty soon it kind of snowballed. And then strangers got involved, my neighbors got involved, the local businesses got involved, and the media. Like I said, you might not have that exact same process that you go through, but you know, whether you're rich, you're poor, you can always do something to help out. And like I said, I, I started with nothing. And now it's, you know, growing to this kind of multi-million dollar initiative and we have a lot of great partners and strategic relationships, but just start out by doing what you can and see where it goes. And I speak to a lot of kids and do like a lot of speeches to schools and stuff. So, I mean, the kids, they, they have such great ideas and they do their own projects and they all help out and stuff. You're never too young. You're never too old. You're never too rich or poor to, to go out and make a difference in your community. And it doesn't have to be in a, you know, a grandiose scale. It can be just something small that only you know about. Definitely, we need more people to you know, step up and make a difference. And you know, I, I encourage everyone just to, to see, start something and see where it goes because you never know. If someone doesn't know what to do, how can they start? If you feel you need to help somebody and you're like, wow, I could be doing a lot more, you know, just do it. I know it sounds so cliche and so vague, but honestly, just just get out there and just pick up the phone, do something, go door to door around your neighborhood. Like, honestly, there's no good or bad way to help somebody as long as as you're helping somebody. Right. So, I mean, there's really no key to success or or anything or that I found, at least. I just kind of as big as some of my events are, I've also had, you know, quite a lot of small events, too, that nobody knows about, no one writes about, no one even probably knows about, but, you know, just, just go out and and just do it. And, you know, without getting too, you know, spiritual or philosophical, I mean, you know, you, you'd be surprised. I mean, doing good work, it seems to be a lot easier than, you know, just doing, you know, just normal work or, you know, work for your work. It just, I don't know, it'll fall into place. It'll be a lot easier than you think. And just the momentum alone behind the good work will keep you going like it, it's really hard to explain greg i sound so crazy but it, it it honestly is it just get out there start it and just see where it goes and see where the momentum takes you are there some organizations whether they're local or global that you can mention that people can start you know if you want to get involved and you feel like you know the world is just a bit too big that's okay no i i want to worry about that because you know the world it can be kind of uh, intimidating sometimes, especially when you want to start out and you don't know where. You know, I would just contact a local organization or, or a charity in your area and say, hey, 
like, like for instance, when I started out, I called the Edmonton Food Bank and I was like, hey, I'm going to start doing this for you guys. And they're like, wow. First of all, they asked me, who, who am I? Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go around door to door collecting for you. And they're like, can we know who you're, who you are and your phone, like, phone number and stuff? Because I'm just some <laughs> random guy. But I mean, that's just how that's how I started. I just called my local food bank and said, hey, this is what I want to do. Any tips? You know, seniors are your thing. I mean, I look for, you know, senior shelters or kids or something. I mean, there's so many great organizations in Edmonton alone, and especially, I mean, if you're in Toronto or wherever you're listening to this, I mean, there's, there's got to be something somewhere that you can go and say, hey, I want to do this. Any ideas or tips for me? And, and just go, go from there. That's fantastic. And of course, yourself, you've, uh, you've taken that one step further and recently created your own foundation. I know. I you know. I mean, it was years. People have been asking me, "Hey, Dan, you know, are you going to take this to another level? Are you finally going to, you know, make this official?" And for years, I kind of, you know, dragged my feet a bit because between you know you, me, and your listeners, Greg, I mean, I really didn't want to start a foundation, <laughs> just because my my biggest fear was that now that you're a foundation, you know, there's mechanisms, there's boards, there's you know potential employees, you know, it becomes a job, right, Greg, and um, I was like, I'm having so much fun just doing, you know, my activist and uh, philanthropist stuff. And I, I didn't want it to become work for me because it was so much fun. Right. So I'm going through all the negatives in my head. And sometimes, you know, just in life, I mean, I think that's what a lot of people do. But then that small list of negatives was totally outweighed by the unseen list of positives. I didn't even think of because I was thinking like a negative Nelly. Right. So and then I finally in August of 2019, I finally caved into the pressure and started the Can Man Dan Foundation. And I am so glad that I did because it makes what I love doing so much easier now because now we have a great board. We have a huge volunteer base. We have actual, you know, strategic partnerships and, you know, all my fears of this becoming, you know, a job, you know, that's going to be tough. Anything that you do as a startup, whether it's a business or a charity, startups are a lot of work. They're a lot of money. Thankfully, you know, I went through my stresses. I won't say, you know, it was completely easy because, you know, starting up is anything is, is very tough. So I had my stretches. But now that I'm kind of out of that growing stage and we got our foundation up and running, I am so glad that I did this now because it makes doing what I love doing so much easier and we can help so many more people. So it's it's going swimmingly. <laughs> swimmingly. That's a good word. Eh? You never hear that anymore. <laughs> well, especially not in Edmonton in the middle of wintertime, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> It sounds like you looked at the at the big picture, and to quote Susan Jeffers' book title, you to feel the fear and, and do it anyway. And it sounds like you're going to make a huge difference to to others. Dan, thank you so much for spending the time on the program. If people want to reach you or find out about your foundation, how can they get a hold of you? Website address, etc. Yeah, you can go to canmandan.org. I'd just say Google Can Man Dan because then you can see like my social media and stuff. Yeah, let, I mean, let's connect. I mean, if you're out there and you're picking your brain and saying, you know, I have a great idea, Dan, and I, I want to get started. Do you have any advice for me? Of course, I got some advice for you and I'd love to help you out. So, so uh, always, I'm always there, you know, get a hold of me and, uh, and I'll, I'll get back to you and, and we'll make some magic happen. Dan Johnstone, Can Man Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Greg. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps 
with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com. <laughs>